and so on. So when I'm preaching shorter, I get faster and louder. <laughs> I thought, my word, you're shouty, David. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we'll see where we go today. All right. Let me just tell you what we're doing today. And uh, oh, going backwards. Oh, there's two of those too. Okay, here's the subject for this morning, faith in Jesus Christ. Before I start a new series, and, and I'm, I'm working on doing Thessalonians, um, uh, I noticed that there's a sort of little tick up in interest in uh, the end of the world, the end of the age, uh, the second coming of Jesus, and Thessalonians is one of the key passages. And from there we can bring in others as well. Um, it'll be a different style. I'm not going to do it verse by verse. I'm going to do it, put the two the two letters together and then preach through the kind of how those two mesh together and bring in those scriptures as well. Um, Colin's preaching next Sunday. I'm here. I'm not absconding. I am here, but Colin is preaching next Sunday morning. But before I start a new series, I felt I wanted to complete uh, what I'd been saying in the last couple of weeks about, first of all, the death of Jesus and what that means for us, the resurrection of Jesus. So here's what finishes a three for me, at least in my mind and heart. Faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you about the three questions that I, I hope we're going to answer together. What is faith in Jesus? How does faith in Jesus work? Now that's a very clumsy way of saying something, but we'll let that stand. How does faith in Jesus work? And then what does faith in Jesus produce? Let's take a moment to pray, shall we, before we... Holy Spirit, sent by the Lord Jesus to us to be with us, to represent you, him to us. We pray now that you will focus our hearts and our minds on the Lord Jesus and win from us greater attention to him, affection for him, alliance, obedience to him, so we truly become more followers of Christ for having sat through receiving your word today than when we came here today. We can always grow. We can always change. Because you are always at work in us to produce more of the character and the, 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 the flavour and the nature of Jesus in us. Holy Spirit, be our helper now we pray as Jesus promised. Amen. Amen. Firstly, let's define faith. In the Bible, faith is not a force you know, that's Star Wars. It's not just wishful thinking or imagining or, or, or imagination or a positive projection of mind and will. That's new age. You know, you put a post-it note to the universe on, the, on, on your bedpost. You know, that, that's new age thinking. That's not faith. In biblical language, faith is these things and probably in this order. Number, number one, it is truth. Faith is truth. Faith is receiving God's word as truth, the scriptures as true. God is who he says he is, not who we might imagine we want him to be. Faith is based upon truth, God's own revealed word. Then faith is trust. Faith is believing God, trusting him, his son Jesus, trusting the gospel, trusting God's word. And 
we, we, we yield ourselves over into, into, into the hands of God and his word, his gospel. Then I did these, so I didn't put them too small, so they go to a couple of screens. Number three, faith is obedience. Faith obeys the Lord. Just as sin disobeys him, human nature, fallen human nature will always disobey the Lord. So a renewed human heart, renewed through the grace of God, the work of Jesus, will obey him. Faith is obedience. In fact, the book of Romans, that great long book, which I preached through some years ago now here, um, uh, took about two years to do Romans, as I remember. Almost from the beginning to the end, it starts very close to verse 1 and finishes almost at the last verse with this statement. The obedience of faith. If you believe, you obey. And then faith is dependence. Faith rests upon and depends upon the help and provision of God. My God is good and he will help me. He will meet my needs. He will meet my family's needs. Because we depend upon him. We trust his word. We trust his promises. We depend upon his nature, his kindness, his goodness, his power, his ability. God isn't just good. He can do it. He has all the power to do it. So we depend upon him. And then, lastly, there's probably a longer list, but I, these are just the ones I thought of, and sometimes it's best to stick with just what you think of and keep it straight, straightforward. Faith is confidence. Being confident. Trusting in him, and I'm confident in him. My God will supply. You can even say those things out loud, and you're not ashamed to. My God will meet all my needs. My God will help me. Confidence in the authority and the wisdom and the goodness of God. Today I want to focus on faith in Jesus. Faith in who Jesus is. We have an incident recorded for us in the Gospels where Jesus turned to the disciples and asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they say, what people say is that you're John the Baptist, even though he had his head cut off by Herod. And uh, Others say that you're Elijah, the prophet who is going to come before the Messiah comes. Others say, you're, you're Jeremiah, come back again, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked them this question. But you, you disciples, who do you say I am? And Peter jumped up as spokesman, and he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're not just the forerunner. That was John the Baptist. You're, you're the real deal. You are the Messiah. You're not just a prophet. You're the one the prophets prophesied about. You're the fulfillment of all these things. You're the son of the living God. There are two questions there that I think still stand for us today. What do people think and say about Jesus? Let's, let's just be clear about what the opinion is generally about Jesus. And then secondly, what do you think and say about Jesus? What many or most of humanity say about Jesus really doesn't matter that much because uh, one of the things, democracy is uh, okay, but it's the, it's, the best it's, it's, the, it's, it's the best of the worst forms of government, is uh, someone said like that. You know, all the, other firms, all the other forms are even worse. It's not like it's the only good idea. But don't imagine that the majority of a group of people are always unnecessarily necessarily right. Through history, it's often been the minority who've, been, who've had, had the thing right. 
And so, you know, the popular vote isn't always the right vote. So if the, if the world as a whole, if the world's a majority, are unbelieving and reject Jesus, so what? So what? We're on the right side if we're on the Lord's side. But what do you think and say about Jesus is what matters here today? What does the Bible say about Jesus? What does the historic and faithful Bible-believing, in other words, church, say about Jesus down through the centuries? Firstly, we say this. The Bible says this. Jesus is God. God, the eternal Son, equal with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the co-creator of the cosmos. He was with the Father from eternity. He is no less all-powerful, all-present, all-wise as God the Father is. There is no attribute of God that Jesus is less in, even though he is the Son of the Father. Bear in mind this, that in many cultures, including the Jewish culture in which the Bible was written, of course, the Hebrew culture, when you say, as a grown man, my father is, hey, hang on a minute, you're a grown man. So now, although there's still a relationship of sonship and fatherhood, you as a grown man are equal to your father. Do you get it? You're a man. You're a, you're, you're, you're a, you're a fully responsible human being. So when Jesus said, God is my father, they wanted to stone him for blasphemy because he called God his father. You make yourself equal with God, they said. They got it right. He is equal with God. And then... Jesus is God made man. Not pretending to be human. Truly, really human, conceived in the womb of a young virgin. Born without a human father, yet truly human. He ate. He slept. He walked. He at times was thirsty and hungry and weary. He was at times disappointed, betrayed, beaten, forsaken, brutalized, and killed. He experienced every emotion that we do. He knew grief, loss, hurt, frustration. He, he really got cross with the disciples sometimes. You know that? He, got ang- he was angry at times. He knew rejection. He knew isolation. He also knew joy and food and wine and company. Faith in Jesus who is God and man. And both are united forever in this person, this unique person, the God-man, Christ, Messiah, Jesus. He is still human. That's the point of the resurrection. There is a man in heaven sitting at the right-hand side of God the Father who reigns over the universe. This man, Christ Jesus. Yet he is God, so we worship him. But when we talk to him, when we make inquiry of him, when we seek him, when we ask him something, the person who's hearing us is both God and man. And Hebrews says we have someone who understands us, who feels with us, who remembers what that is like, the thing that we are going through, the thing that we're complaining about. He knows what it's like. And he's able to help us. Faith in Jesus, the person who is still eternal God and yet now eternally is for our sake also now man. When we see him, he will still have in his body 
the wounds of Calvary, of Golgotha, so we will know him without any shadow of doubt. You say, why does he, he still carry the wounds? Because they're like medals of his triumph. A memorial for all time of all that he's accomplished for us in his sacrificial death. I better not add too much to my notes or we'll be here all afternoon. Faith in Jesus the person, truly God, truly man, indivisibly, one person combining those two natures. Then faith in what Jesus has done. And we talked about this in previous weeks. Firstly, is his incarnation and life. Jesus was born of the Virgin, experienced everything in life that we do, but he did not sin. He never chose to do wrong. He never gave way to selfish interest, even, even though you see him wrestling with that in Gethsemane. He submitted himself to the Father. He never disobeyed God, his Father. He lived a perfect life, tested in every way. His death on the cross, which was a redeeming, rescuing, atoning, reconciling death, bringing men and women, boys and girls, back to God through him making reconciliation and peace there. One modern songwriter, I think it was, um, I can't even remember his name now, uh, said, the cross has said it all. <coughs> Matt Redmond, that's right. sorry about that loud noise. The cross has said it all. At the cross, every good thing that God has for us was purchased for us by Jesus. A new covenant between God and man was established and it was sealed not with sprinkled blood of animals as in the old covenant, but with the blood of Jesus himself, blood of Messiah. In Acts 20, Paul goes so far as to say the blood of God. He has purchased there on the cross for us reconciliation with God and out of that comes free forgiveness, and freedom and peace and rescue and restor restoration because the, the gap the, the enmity that existed between us and God has been bridged by Jesus. He has made the peace. He has made the reconciliation. They're trying to do the reconciliation thing all over again in Ireland, aren't they? You know? Jesus has made reconciliation between God and us so that God can look upon us with mercy and kindness and deal with us in his goodness. Jesus' work in his resurrection and reign as king. His work at the cross is finished. He cried out with a loud voice before he then yielded up his spirit to the Father. It is finished. But he hasn't finished yet. He's reigning. Until every enemy is put under his feet. And the last enemy will be death when he raises all the dead on the last day and brings his, those who, who love him to glory. He is praying too, like a high priest to the Father, for his people. He rules over them, he prays for them, he cares for them. He's our shepherd king and he does not stop that for one moment of our time. He'll do it until we arrive home, safely with him. Jesus makes intercession for the saints. Intercession is the, most, is the strongest word for prayer. Where you put yourself be, be in front of someone else and say... They're not asking this, but I'm asking you for them. Yeah. That's intercession. You stand in front of someone else and pray for them, for their sake. Jesus, the scripture says, 
endlessly makes intercession for the saints. And you think no one cares about you. He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. He's our shepherd king, our high priest, our faithful, loving shepherd. That's the work of Jesus that still continues. But then we think about the work of Jesus in the Gospels, what Jesus did then, what he can do, what he still does. We know from the Gospels that he can heal the sick. He can deliver people from the influence of demons. He can multiply food to feed many people, a whole crowd of people. He can feed the hungry. He can walk on water. He can command nature. Said to a raging storm, be quiet. Same same way you tell a dog, shut up, sit down. He commanded nature to do that, like it was a dog. Sit down, be quiet. He can rescue and restore people, change their lives. He can make lame people walk, blind people see, deaf people hear. Through his atoning work on the cross and his resurrection, he can forgive a person for all they've ever done and lead them into a new life. This is his continuing work. His gospel work is his continuing work. Except now he does it by the Holy Spirit through his followers, through the church. The good works of Jesus continue and his good news continues to be declared to every people group on earth. So that's faith in the person of Jesus, God and man. Faith in his work as recorded in scripture. His life, his death, his resurrection, his continuing work of mercy and grace and restoration, and healing as well. That continues even now in this world. So faith trusts God's Son. It's not just faith in God. A number of religions will offer you an option of faith. Maybe a faith in a God who may or may not have a name. Did you know that by the statistics and the, the kind of the, the, when they do a census and so on, Many, if not most people, at least in this country, still believe that there is a God. The majority of people in this country do not disbelieve that there is a God, which goes to show that atheists, like many other minorities, make a lot of noise for the size of their community. <laughs> some, communi- some little minority communities are very noisy, aren't they? Yes. Including atheists. Real faith saving faith, the faith that makes you a Christian, that brings you from death to life, from hell to heaven, is faith in Jesus. Faith in God through Jesus' Son. And we have these things from Jesus himself. I'm going to, really, I'm only giving you Jesus' scriptures word today. Bear in mind when Jesus is dealing in John's Gospel, he's dealing with Hebrew people, Jewish people, and you've got to bear in mind that context. He's addressing the fact they already have religion. They already have a faith. And yet he says this. This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. But in John 14, your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. He equates himself as you've got to believe in me the same way you believe in Yahweh. Or Jehovah as many of us grew up saying it. Then in John 14, verse 6. There's no ducking around this one. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
You see, Jesus claims to stand between us and God, the eternal God, and says to us that our faith in the eternal God, the Almighty, the Ancient of Days, is to be directed to and through him, through Jesus. Faith has the focus not just of a God up there who's somewhere, but a God who has become in Jesus our mediator, our man. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and he is also God. Therefore, we worship him. We serve him. We pray to him. We obey him. You see, Jesus claims our faith. He claims the faith of the whole world to himself. And people who say, well, I, I, I want to know God, but I forget about Jesus, I'll go this way. You've just chosen a dead end. A wrong turning. The only real faith, the only true faith, is faith in God through Jesus Christ. Jesus claims it unequivocally. That means without any shadow of doubt, he claims it for himself. John adds to his own comments in his Gospels, building on what Jesus said. Let me just read this to you. John 3.16, famous scripture many people know, but I'm going to read it to you in context. John commenting on the words of Jesus. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, God gave his son so that everyone who believes in Jesus will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. Anyone who believes in him, in Jesus, is not condemned. Judgment of God has been taken away from you. But anyone who does not believe, quotes in Jesus, unquotes, is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So you can believe in God, a God, a named God, but if you don't believe in Jesus, you haven't believed in the one that God has sent. And that's the only saving faith. Those who have believed in the name, which is the name of Jesus, of the one and only Son of God. Further down, John writing again, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who refuses to believe in the Son, not just in a God, but in the Son, will not see life because the wrath of God remains on him. And then at the very end of his gospel, John writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing this, you may have life in his name. Jesus claims the faith of the whole world. (laughs) Some people say, but our, our culture, our society has its own religion. No, Jesus claims the faith of the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever in the whole world who believes in him will not go to will not perish, will not go to eternal death, but will have eternal life. He claims to be the only true object of our faith, the only way to God. So we as Christians cannot settle for an exercise in comparative religion. Though I'm happy to sit and discuss and debate with someone of another religion. It's very helpful. I ask them questions, and then they ask me, so I get to explain. And I, we can't compromise with, you know, any faith will do, like the, jo- like the Joseph Dreamcoat song, any old 
Any dream will do, you know. No, any faith won't do. Or multi-faith even. We are to respect all people. But we accept as true the words of the Lord Jesus himself, which declare him to be the one and only way to God, and he claims our faith. This faith in Jesus is faith to believe in him, it's faith to ask him. Faith to ask him. Now let me give you some gospel incidents here, one particularly. People were brought to Jesus to be healed almost all the time, wherever he went. There was one place where he did not or could not do many miracles and healings. That was in his home area of Galilee, where they claimed or thought they knew who he was. We know your mother, we know your brothers. Actually, they were northerners. I should do a Liverpool accent. No, no. <laughs> Up north, ah. We know who you are. <laughs> and, and, and that funny business about Joseph being your dad. I mean, you hadn't, he hadn't even married her, had he? They knew all about that, you know. Do you know that, t- that turn up again and again? We know about who your father was. <laughs> they didn't believe in him because they thought they already knew who he was. And therefore, he could not do much among them. Except he, he lay, the scripture says he laid his hands on a few people and healed them. Why? Because of their unbelief. But in other places, people flocked to him to listen to his teaching and to be healed by him. They queued up and Jesus stood there for hours dealing with people, dealing with them. Often when people were brought to Jesus or they shouted out from a crowd for his attention or pushed through a crowd to get to him, he would turn to them and he would ask them a question. And the question was, Generally like this, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Now, on one occasion, the blind man who'd been shouting out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And and eventually Jesus said, bring him here. Because he just wouldn't stop. And the disciples brought him forward. And as the blind man stands there, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Now I can imagine the disciples going, "What's what's the matter with him? He's blind, isn't he? I mean, Jesus isn't blind. Surely he can see, he can't see. (laughs) Jesus says to a blind man, what do you want me to do for you? See, some people characterize faith as believing to see something happen. You imagine it, you're projecting it, believing for that outcome. Now, I believe that's a kind of faith God can give us in extraordinary faith for extraordinary times. It's a... Corinthians talks about the gift of faith when you know you against all odds against all kind of sense really you really just find the, I, I can't I find myself trusting God for this and I believe he's going to do it you know you, you didn't you're not producing something out of yourself it's just deposited in here that's a gift of faith for that circumstance what Jesus often asked people was this simple question what do you want from me what he was looking for was this faith enough to ask him Let me say that again. What Jesus was asking for, what he was looking for, was simply this. Do you have faith enough to ask me? To put it into words. Lord, that I might receive my sight, that particular blind man said. And Jesus restored his sight. Jesus asks us for faith enough to ask him. Not faith that sees it already done and we confess and declare it and all that kind of stuff, but faith enough to ask him. Jesus asked questions to provoke that faith, faith to directly and simply ask him. 
Another instance was a man brought his son to the disciples. Jesus was up a mountain being transfigured before Peter, James and John. His whole body was glowing with the glory of God. Even his clothes were glowing like one of those old gas filament lamps we used to have in camping, you know, in those caravans and so You know, the smell of those things, my goodness. But they're brilliant, bright white. I mean, his clothes were like glowing like the sun. When he came down from the mountain, a whole crowd had gathered and by now the scribes, the religious authorities, the, 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 the lawyers were arguing with his disciples about something. And Jesus starts to ask, what, what are you arguing about? When suddenly a man in the crowd yells out, okay? And here it is in Mark 9, he says, he shouts out from the crowd. The crowd's kind of got him, you know, backed away a bit. Teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit, a demon in other words, that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, he becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to derive it out, but they couldn't. So Jesus first of all speaks to his disciples, and I told you Jesus got cross with people sometimes. <laughs> you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the man to him, and the boy as well. When the spirit... The demon saw Jesus. It immediately convulsed the boy. This whole kind of shaking on the ground thing. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus said to the father, how long has this been happening to him? From childhood, he said. And many times it's thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said to the man, if you can. Everything is possible to the one who believes. Immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Please help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering around, he rebuked the unclean spirit. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And it came out, shrieking and convulsing the boy violently. The boy became like a corpse. So the many said, well, he's dead now. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him up, and he stood up. Shred the account. Let's not be hard on the man. His son had been in a bad way for many years, and he's brought him to the disciples, and they haven't been of any help, and he's very disappointed. But when he comes to Jesus with the boy, he doesn't quite ask Jesus, does he? If you can do anything, have mercy on us and help us. His words seem to doubt I'm not sure what he does. Either the ability of Jesus, the power, the authority, can he deal with this thing? Or Jesus' willingness to help him and his son. So when Jesus is asking that kind of question, you know, except it's, it, it's like, you know, where's your faith there? He responds to Jesus' challenge with an honest, I, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I'll trust you, Jesus, but help me if I'm struggling here. That was an honest enough answer for the Lord Jesus. That was an honest enough answer. Faith enough to ask. All that Jesus wanted from this man and perhaps many others over a few years altogether was faith to ask him and faith to trust in his ability, authority and willingness. Forget the if you can. 
Forget the if you can. What about us? Are we bothered even to ask some things in prayer? What are we afraid of? Disappointment? No wonder that Jesus spoke a number of times of of us needing to have childlike faith. Not childish faith. Our faith is to grow with knowledge, but it's childlike faith. It simply trusts. Now, for some of us, we're, you know, our kids are nearly all in their 30s now. Luke isn't, but the others are getting that way. But we, I remember my children coming up to me and saying, Dad, will you give me a whatever? And, the, you know, they, they had a reasonable expectation I was going to give it to them. Yeah? A child approaches their parent to ask for something with a real expectation that the parent will give it to them. And generally, a parent only denies the request because to do so would not be good for the child. Now, you've had enough chocolate today. Or, you, you know, you've had, you've had a sweetie already today. Whatever it is. It would not be good for their health or for their character or for their behavior. A good parent denies their child something because to do so is for their good, though the child will almost certainly not appreciate that at the time. So let me ask you a question. We sing it sometimes. Is God a good father? Therefore, if he denies a request, could it be that that's actually for our good? But let's come and ask of him and trust him to answer us in his goodness and in his wisdom because he knows what we don't know and he knows better than I do on every occasion. But faith prays, faith asks. And faith also obeys the Lord Jesus. I sometimes write these things down in a punchy way and here's one of them. It's one thing to have some faith in Jesus that will do for us what we ask of him. Yeah? What about faith to do what he asks of us? Faith prays, but faith also obeys. We've entered into a New covenant in and through Jesus. I'm so glad it's not the old covenant. It doesn't require an altar and animal sacrifices and butchery and blood and rituals and robes and incense and, and so on. By the way, the, the incense rise earlier is a reference to our prayers and thanksgiving and worship. You know, that's what new covenant incense is. It's a, it's a symbol of something. But it is a covenant made by God with us in and through Jesus. We are in a covenant. In a covenant, we have privileges and responsibilities. Yeah? Mm-hmm. There are things that belong to you and there are things that belong to God and the things that belong to God are the things you need to do. Yeah? yeah? God is our provider, but we should honour him by returning the first portion, 10% of all that he provides to us. I believe that's part of the covenant relationship. God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, but we are to be faithful in forgiving others and in seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and avoiding all evil. So we're not just coming with a constant, I'm sorry, I've done it again, I'm sorry, I've done it again, I'm sorry, I've done it again. We're seeking help to change. We're seeking help to put straight some things. Because that's our covenant relationship. God helps us to live this new life. God is faithful to his promises, but for us being faithful to his covenant means being obedient and responsive to him. Loving him, fearing him, serving him. He, the Lord, keeps his word, his promises. 
We keep his word when we do what he asks of us, when he keeps his commands. And again, I want you to please listen to the Lord Jesus himself on this, this, this very subject of this faith that obeys. John 14, verse 12. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Before we can move on to the next verse, let me just go, go back a minute on praying. I told you Jesus often asked people what you want me to do for you, yes? Because he was looking for faith to ask. Here's a very practical lesson. It was in the BBC News that I read last night um, on my phone kind of thing, BBC News headlines. There's a big fuss coming up amongst uh, the Christian world of it's not okay to pray for blind people and deaf people and crippled people, and sorry, I should say disabled people, sorry, um, because they might not want to be prayed for. That's a very good point. Do not assume that you should pray for somebody because they have some illness or weakness or disability. You're welcome to ask them and offer to pray. But if they say no, be very courteous, say, yes, okay, that's fine, that's fine. Do not impose your faith on someone. You ought to be well. You ought to be healed. Can I pray for you? That is definitely something which is unacceptable, inappropriate. And it's no wonder that there's a new kind of campaign about it. Before They'll have us stop in praying for anybody if we don't learn the lesson. Ask if people want us to pray for them and respect their decision. All right? Don't overbear it. That's rude. We're not called to that. I'll just pray for you anyway. <laughs> don't do it. Please, don't do that. Right? Your faith is not a stick to beat people with. I should have said that earlier. Verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name. Now, interestingly, she says you'll do greater works and every time he talked about works, when he talked about moving a mountain, whatever, he's always talking in the context of prayer. You have to pray before you can do. You've got to pray before you can say. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And then he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What a, what a whole package there. You'll do all the works that I'm doing, the greater works, and if you ask me, I'll do it for you. If you ask me my name, I'll do it, and if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And we go through and slice them up and say, I'll have that bit. I like that bit. I'll take that one. No, 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 no. It's all on the plate at the same time. It's like meat, potatoes, and greens. The whole meal in one go. Yeah. Amen. Jesus offers us these things, and they're packaged together. Greater works, answer prayer. If you love me, keep my commandments. He does it again further down. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and reveal, will reveal myself to him. Next verse. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Oh, this sounds so good. And the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Jesus claims his words are God's words. Next chapter, John 15. 
Jesus using the analogy of vine and vineyard and grapes. I am the true vine. My father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so it produces more fruit. You're already clean, pruned, because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, if it's cut off, it's unfruitful, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him. Look at the closeness there. Living in him and he lives in you. You know, that's closer than living in the same house together. Living in one another is like really close. That person produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, those branches, and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, notice the if. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to me my disciples. Next verse again. As the Father has loved me, I've also remained, loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands, remain in his love. And I've spoken these things to you. Listen to what he says. All that he's just said. John 14, 15. All he's just said. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Would anybody like some more joy? There's the answer. <clears throat> Jesus weaves these things together. They're not separated out. Remaining, living in him, keeping his commands, asking whatever we wish, being fruitful. You can't pick them apart here. They come as one package. This is new covenant life. What Jesus is offering to us here, you could call partnership. We cooperate with him, stay close to him, obey him. He hears and answers our prayers, but we hear and respond to him too. There's two-way communication here. There's mutual respect. We honour him and he honours us. Again, let me put this in a punchy way. He does for us what we ask of him as, at the same time, we do what he asks of us. It's two-way traffic. Yet he is by far the senior partner, for we are subjects and he is king. We're sheep and he is shepherd. So faith, there's the headlines for you. Faith believes the Lord Jesus. It believes in him. It receives and believes his word. There's belief in faith. It builds upon truth, not just vague ideas and philosophies. There's solid truth that faith is built upon. But faith is centered not even in what God says, but in God, whom God has sent, Jesus himself, the person of Jesus. Faith prays to the Lord Jesus, or to God through the Lord Jesus, in my name. By the way, in my name doesn't mean, if you say, in the name of Jesus, say amen, like abracadabra at the end of a, at end of a, of a, of a magic spell, it will all work. You know, you, 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 where you finish your prayer is in the name of Jesus. Ah, there you go. That's, 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 that's turned the coin. No, no, no. 
In the name of Jesus means we're praying something that is actually for his sake, for his honour. It's for the good of his name, not just the good of my being. Yeah. But he's honoured by doing this. That, that, that's, that's what he, in his name is about. So you, we're going to pray for someone to be healed. We're going to pray. So you've got to think, now, how does this honour Oh, yes, this will honour Jesus in this way. And then go with that. This is for the sake of your son, Jesus God. Faith calls on his name, asks the Father in his name. Thirdly, faith obeys the Lord Jesus, keeps his commands. The advice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, to the wedding attendants at Cana, when he did, made his, did his first miracle, stands good today to us. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, I haven't talked there about worship and thanksgiving because in biblical language they include it in prayer. We ask, we pray, we worship, we sing, we give thanks, we, we praise the Lord. These are all parts of prayer. And in obedience, obedience includes doing, doing everything that he's commanded us. Jesus told us to go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of those who believe, baptizing them in his name and teaching them to do everything that he's commanded us. Did you get that bit? We teach those who are followers of Jesus to do all that he's commanded us. And so, do I need to talk about, uh, you know, being part of a local church and fellowshipping with people and, and, being, and partnering with people and getting engaged in real life and real faith together? No, I shouldn't need to run because those are things he's commanded us. Yes? So, I'm saying to you this morning, I, I would like to sum up faith just in those three things. Because... There's a lot else you might remember that actually is part of those three things. We could go on and talk about it. We could break it down, break it out, make it longer. But it's as simple as those three things. Faith believes in Jesus. Faith prays to or through Jesus. And faith obeys him. All that he's commanded us. All that he teaches us. What does faith in Jesus produce? This is the last question. What does faith in Jesus produce? Three words. A new life. A new life. A changed person with a changed lifestyle. Not an old life patched up. Talked about that last week, didn't we? It's a whole new life. This is not a Sunday go-to-church religion. You know, being a Christian doesn't have an off switch. Right, I've finished church now. See you next week. Faith in Jesus is a whole life, a whole new life. Jesus to be worshipped, heard, obeyed, asked and inquired of 24-7. A Christian is a person who believes, obeys and prays the Lord Jesus and they go to church and fellowship and so on because they are a Christian, because they identify with Jesus. And finally, I'm going to show you this scripture. Could have started with it, but I kept it here. Galatians 2, 19-20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The resurrected Jesus, he could have said, lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He didn't just say, I live by faith. Faith could, could mean anything there without this addition. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
The Lord Jesus calls us to live one life, this life, here now, 24-7, by faith in him. The Bible repeatedly says the just, the righteous, will live by faith. Faith in Jesus is our whole way of life, seven days a week, all day long, in the home, in the workplace, wherever I am. No off switch. Faith in Jesus is how we live. I could have talked today about knowing and loving the Lord Jesus, but those things grow and deepen over time as we live by faith in him, as I've described to you. Got one more. Headline. Graphic headline. In the scriptures, in one place it says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. I'm going to borrow that a bit to sum up what I'm saying to you today. One Lord Jesus, one faith in him and through him, one life lived for him. That, my friends, is as good a definition of the word holiness, which will scare you to death, that word, I know. That's holiness. Living one life in faith to the one Lord. Not being a hypocrite, not playing one end against another, one face here, one face there, one kind of person here, one kind of person there. Living one whole life for the Lord Jesus, living by faith in him. One Lord, one faith, one life, and the one Lord is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians makes a suggestion to them. He says, test yourselves whether you be in the faith. Just take, check yourself out. How's, how are you doing? Are you trusting Jesus? Trusting in who he is and all that he's done? Trusting him to continue to be at work in you and through you, helping you? As you ask him and rely upon him, you ask and believe to receive his help. Then, what about the things that he asks of you? Are you obedient to him? Do you respond to his requests? Do you expect him to have his ear open to you while you are deaf to him? The way of life that Jesus describes to us in those passages we read earlier is one life. The works, the praying, the obeying, the living close to him, the being filled with his joy. It's one package, one life. Are you living that life? Or do you want to? If you want to, if you think in your heart right now, Oh, Lord, I want that life. I want to become more like all of that. Then, do you remember where I told you the kind of faith Jesus looks for? What was it? Faith enough to ask him. 
Why don't you summon up from your heart right now faith enough to ask him? That this kind of faith may be more at work in you than it's ever been. You might push through some barriers, get over some lessons and live at a new level of trusting Jesus, living with him and for him and in him. Ask him. Ask him. One Lord, one faith, one life. Take a moment to do that. Let me just mention as well, if you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus, you've said, well, I'm, I'm not a person who doesn't have faith, I believe that there's a God. Well, good. But Jesus calls you to faith in himself. You believe there's one God, you do well. But believe also in him. Believe in the one that God sent. Believe in his one and only son. The the son of God who became man, Jesus Christ. Believe in him. Turn your attention to him today and say, I trust you, Lord Jesus. I believe in you. I want to live my life with you as the focus. Asking, receiving from you, hearing and responding to you. Again, just ask him. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're at work here in this place, this space today. More important than a building and an atmosphere, though, is the human heart. And even now you're at work in some of us, in our hearts, drawing uh, out from us a fresh faith in Jesus himself. And we thank you for it. For he promised that you, Holy Spirit, would take of the things about him that are his and you would bring them to us and make them real to us. Keep doing that, Holy Spirit, day by day. It's easy perhaps now here on a Sunday morning, but when we hit the week and when life is pushing in upon us, may we learn, may we hear again the voice we heard today from Jesus that you're with us and you're for us and you're helping us. We just need to call upon you and trust you. We live every day by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Speaking of which, we're going to break bread together, which again is remembering the Lord Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. The blood